0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to Being Trans. Now, lately I've been reading um, The Shadow of Valley*, And it's been a pleasure to be able to update and read this book to people who are listening. Mainly because it's about my life. And what it was like being me. But I don't really get time to talk about the backstory of me. And that is what this pleasure, this reading this is because I get to update a few things that have changed in the book since I've had a long time to look at it. But I also need to say something about being dyslexic. There's a lot of people out there who claim to have learning disabilities. None of us are a cookie cutter. We are all unique in each and every way that exists. And for me, I'm dyslexic and I'm transgender. My dyslexia costs me a lot of problems throughout the years. It also causes a lot of problems. The cost is that sometimes I don't quite understand what I'm reading. And therefore, sometimes i misconstrued the written word when people try to tell me something. I also get very discouraged at reading. I have moments where reading is easy for me, and I have moments where it's it's just not. It's not going to work for me, no matter how hard I try. I just can't seem to do it. And it doesn't have anything to do with being tired or anything like that. It's just certain days I can't read. And that's a lot of times when people ask me, you know, oh, it must have been difficult growing up. It's difficult existing with dyslexia. Sometimes you have to read things and your mind just can't do it. I can look at a simple paragraph and the only thing that it shows is gibberish. I can see the words, I know what they mean, each an individual word, and I can read them clearly. But when I put them together, it all comes unraveled. And even if I took a piece of yellow paper and put over my screen or turned my screen yellow or whatever or blue or pink, it doesn't change the fact that it's still not working for me. That's how severe my dyslexia is. So learning how to do some of this stuff is never an easy thing for me. Going to school was horrific. Um, Grade school was just a monster. Um, Going to university was a bit better because you ended up with um, professors who really did give a damn about where you were going because in the end, you're a reflection of their teaching. If they're a shitty teacher and you're a shitty student, you kind of get the point there. So a lot of times when I asked for help, I got it. And that was a beautiful thing. And one of the things that A lot of people don't understand is in the real world, there isn't that kind of uh, willingness to help a dyslexic person. I read stuff all the time, and I'll have to read it maybe 20 times just to get it. Or I'll have to set it down, come back another day, and hope that what is going on with my dyslexia is taking a pause for that day. And it becomes very difficult being a writer um, and an author and doing my blog and trying to gather as much information about being transgender as possible. It's never an easy battle. Not one that I would wish on anymore. The there is no real, oh, I'd hate to say it, but there is no real um, positive to being dyslexic because it, it just isn't there. And I'm not trying to be mean to anybody who is dyslexic. I can understand where you're coming from and how the struggles are. And I see it in my own child who is also dyslexic. To read my book to you is not only a pleasure, but an extreme challenge for me. I, Some days you may get an hour and a half of me reading. Other days, well, you're going to get maybe 30 minutes. And those are the days that I've really struggled after several days of trying to read. And on top of that, you also have the exhaustion factor, which a lot of people don't understand. And after you try and read several times over and over and over again, your mind just goes, no, I'm done, I'm I'm fried. And you really physically are tired. You go lay down and you try to recoup some of that energy. It isn't easy. And I do have a lot of sympathy for those who are out there. And I thank you for taking the time and listening to my podcast. Thank you for taking the time and listening to my story about self-realization. I once thought it was a coming out story, but it wasn't really a coming out story when I started looking back over it. And I thought to myself, it's more like a a self-discovery. You start to understand what the truth is about your life. And you're willing to share it. And what comes of that sharing, be it good or bad, it's the truth. And therefore, I'm happy to share my story. And I want others to realize that even though I've had a shitty, shitty choices and shitty life, I'm not a shitty person. I have three children at home, which to me are amazing kids, and I I cannot say enough about my kids. I have four adults who are good people in their own rights. But my three at home, I have a special connection with, and I'm very blessed because of it. And it's sad that my other four don't want that connection, but it's their choice, they're adults. And it's just like everybody else in the world. At some point, you're going to make a choice. And how you react and how you use that choice is solely up to you. But enough babbling, enough talking. Let's get on to reading a little bit more. And hopefully, hopefully, my ability to read today is in a great spot. Once again, thank you for listening to Being Trans. All right, it's time to get back to reading on chapter three. This is the point in my life where I built my hate for those who commit adultery. I know at this time in my life it is the next to impossible to be with someone at my age that has not been with another person. To, but to me, it's like putting it on a dirty sock. I can visualize the feeling and I just can't stand it. I need to clarify something here. That's not that's not anybody who's been with someone. That's just someone who's committed adultery. It, it just is something that is so horrific to me because people don't really understand the true impact of that action. It's more than just the level, the the upper level of it, you know, the surface level of the betrayal. It's more than that. So back to it. I don't care if you have had a person before me that doesn't matter but if you've committed adultery I don't want to be with you plus it gives me concern deep down inside that you have little that you will have very little regard for me that someday that you will do it again in fact this has cost me a few friends due to my thoughts on the subject because to me, adultery has a ripple effect, and it's more than just the two people. I could always tell by the, uh, by the actions afterwards as well. What I meant there was that when my ex-partner cheated, I knew immediately. But I didn't have the willingness to go, well, fuck you, fuck off, piss off, go away. But I knew it, and at this time, I was still young, and I did not have the fortitude because my parents didn't teach me that fortitude. I didn't learn that fortitude, and I had to learn it the hard way, and this marriage did teach me a lot the hard way. plus if you're going to blow smoke up my ass make it a make it a better story than i would have then i would have never had one night stand because i i did it once and it made me feel dirty or and don't feed me the story it's an accident because you just don't magically strip off your clothes fall on top of someone else or have someone else fall on top of you It doesn't work that way. Those flaws were the reason I created some of my core rules in life. Lucky for me, I try to learn from my errors. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I've committed a lot of errors over and over again until I do learn. But yeah, I try to learn. I know there's a portion of my readers who might have just been offended. I'm not sorry for that. You see, the pain that comes from that act of of having an, an affair lasts for a lifetime. Even if you don't find it in your heart to forgive the person, it's even if you do find it in your heart to forgive that a person, it is a permanent scar upon your soul that will last, will be there forever. I watched my mother blame my father for his actions that happened in war. She would say, I forgave him, but she would always leave the handle of the hatchet sticking out of the ground. For those who don't know, burying the hatchet is an old term for forgiving and forgetting. Leaving the handle sticking out allows you to trip over it, and no matter what you do, you're never forgiven for what it is, because the other individual won't let you forget it. As a child, I was told what happened. Never, never acceptable. I need to add this in here. It was never acceptable for my parent to tell me what happened. Because I was a child. I didn't really understand what it meant. And it affected how I viewed that parent. So it's never acceptable to talk about this stuff with your children. Um, If they find out as adults, that's something totally different. They have to handle that as adults. And they have the skill sets, hopefully, to do so. I did not need to know what happened. It was none of my business. And to be honest about her actions, it was disgusting to tell a child. When I was 20, we moved to Yakima, and we, and we lived there for a while, me and my ex-partner. This is where I found out that if you don't have a good support system of friends, you fall in with the bad ones. And I'm not talking about little Joey stole a candy bar. candy bar. I'm talking about bad people. Bad people have bad ideas. And do dumb things that you can get into so much trouble for. We ended up for some reason losing the lease on the place we were living. And I could never put my finger on it. Why? But later I found out she left she had she had an affair with the son of the landlord. That's really kind of creepy. The mom found out, and we got kicked out. I was told this by my ex's mother. Oh, no, I was told this by the mother of the person she had the relationship with, or the affair with. She was hoping that by kicking us out, it would destroy our relationship. I told her I wish it had, but the reality was the ride was not over and I was willing to be on it. We then moved back to Ellensburg and started looking for employment and a place to live. I'm so angry about this part of my life. There is no excuse. She was having physical problems, so we went to the doctor and found out that she had vaginal warts. Dear God, I was just exposed to an STI Slash STD, depending on how you want to say it, it's a sexually transmitted problem. Fuck at this t- at a time where HIV and AIDS were still a big issue. Not only was my wife having affairs, she was not using protection. For the rest of my life, I have I have checked and been checked for one for having one. I did not want to go into any relationship whatsoever bringing her baggage into it. Physical baggage. I've I've had more checks than is necessary. (laughs) Just because I'm still paranoid. Did I pack up and leave at that time? No. I was a stupid fucker with low self-esteem. Even worse, I had no sense of my own self-worth as a human being. I look back now and I can, I can feel, I look back now and all I can feel is the best thing about her was what ran down the crack of her mother's ass. Yes, I could have cleaned that up, but until you've been exposed to an STD or an STI, don't tell me how to react. This is another reason I can't stand people who have little respect that they have an affair. Time for a new page. At the time, there were a lot of, there were not a lot of jobs for 20-year-olds who are not skilled. Job Corps was suggested by my job placement officer, and it seemed like a really great opportunity for the both of us. Next thing I knew, we were packing our things, and we moved to a place called Astoria, Oregon. Oh, I loved Astoria. It was a gorgeous little town. To work with the U.S. Job Corps. It was not a great idea. It was a great idea. I loved the whole setup, and in a great location. None of her former friends to stop by and drive me up the wall, or worse, to have sex with her. That might have been the one of my biggest mistakes I have ever done. My wife at the time had eyes for lots of other people. Not just me. She did not even know them. I used to say that she came to the, I think I've said it already once, she came to the marriage with a mattress on her back. If you're a person that has an open relationship, then that's a totally different thing, but you have rules that go with it. And the other party knows about it, and the, and they also have open um, relations. And therefore, you're both on the same page. But an affair is not that. There is a lot of trust that's placed in a, in a relationship. And this is what happened a new page again so in the end I packed I alone packed everything up I had I had a I had and drove let's try this again see there's a dyslexic moment right there so in the end I alone packed everything up packed up everything I had and drove with my tail between my legs back to Ellensburg I licked my wounds and made a few choices as I spent that winter alone without her knowing where she without knowing where she was or who she was with. There was the needing, needling feeling that Bad Al wanted to kick my ass for being such a stupid fucker for those two years. I started to become good at starting over. Once more, I had found a great job, still trying to prove that I was an Uber male. For those who don't understand, Uber meaning super big, powerful male. Um, I got a job working for the city as an assistant to the chief mechanic. Smacked me in the back of the head. I lost such a great opportunity there. Because I was stupid. What's more deep down inside. I was hollow. As I could be nothing. Was. What I really wanted. That's a really hard read right there. Um when I look back, there was a lot of suicidal tendencies that were in my mind that were going over and over again. And remember, I had tried several times to commit suicide as a young person. And where this track was going, now that I can read it again, and I look back, it reminds me how horrific my self-esteem was at this point in time. I did not want to even know how to get it, let alone know what I wanted. I lost. I was lost in a day-to-day grind. Go to work. Go home. At that time, I did not even feel clean enough to be near anybody. Looking back now, all I can say is, fuck her for exposing me to an STI. Like, STD. I'm still mad about it. Even to this day, I'm still fucking mad about it. The only thing I wanted was to be loved by a person and to love a person. Then, like a bad wind, once more she came back into my life. And like a dumb fucker, I took her back into my life. This would happen a lot. And I was the only one to blame. I did not have or know my self-worth at that time. That one damn word kept coming back into my life. Loser. But that bad choice to allow her back into my life ruined it all. And over and over again, thanks to her, she pissed off so many people who were my friends. We needed to a new start, so we sold all of my belongings and packed up and moved looking for somewhere, something new. It is a shitty feeling running away to get a fresh start because your fresh start was ruined by your partner. I've had this happen too many damn times in my life. Too many fucking times in my life, and each with a different partner. When I look back now, the finger isn't necessarily pointed at them, it's also pointed at me. Because I didn't have my self-worth, I didn't have the mental fortitude to fucking stick my anchor in and say, fuck you, fuck off, go away. I learned this late in life, and I wish I would have learned it when I was younger. It was also at this point when my life, when the life I was living, oh, sorry, it was also at this point in my life when I was living in Sacramento, California, as the pickup and ute broke down on the way there to Nevada. The dreams of living back in California was starting to happen. I was so excited. It was not perfect, but it was underway. But it might have been a success had I not had the bad wind come with me. Meaning, had she not come along with me, my life probably would have been more successful. We had made a few mistakes at that time. I took the blame. For some, I take the blame for some of the, the actions. Ooh, we made a few mistakes at that time, and I took blame for some of the actions of my wife at that time. That was really stupid on my part, looking back. I should have never taken blame for actions of another person. Didn't make me a hero. Didn't make me anything but a sucker. We moved into this two bedroom apartment where she started once again acting like runaround sue. I was working an okay job and on my way to something better when she messed up when she messed up every when she, when she messed everything up once more and started seeing this big started seeing the big brother of one of my other co-workers. That was great. That really helped. Thanks very much. Made me feel like shit. Yep, that ended my employment. Because now I could stay... Oh, wow, I wrote that really bad. (laughs) You can say this is a dyslexic phrase right here. Yep, that ended that employment. Because how could I stay there any longer while she was doing that? It was making me the laughingstock of all the other workers who knew about what was going on before I did. That does not make a person feel great about oneself. It was even at this time that someone told me they knew a friend in our church who was selling cars and could help us. I learned a lesson the hard way. Don't buy things from LDS church members. You might be thinking that I'm a bit hard on hard, but in a, in a, a less than a month that car died. I mean it died and gone to the big junk yard in the sky. So I had so I had to tweak the little truck slashy you and I so I could have some transportation. Being homeless sucks. When you've lost it all due to someone who was supposed to pay the rent, but she took off with another guy and took the money as well. Came home one night. And when I came home one night, I was locked out of my place with a notice. I packed up what I could by sneaking in and grabbing my clothes, and I drove off in a little pickup that I got working again. I slept in it as it was not going to get me back home to Ellensburg. Broken-hearted, and on a Father's Day, had to call my dad, And tell him what was going on. That was a very low point in my life. Looking back now, I don't really know how I survived it. Because there were a few days I should not have. There are things about being homeless that the news does not tell you. In the end, my father drove to California and dragged me back to Washington State. It was a 34-hour drive from my dad. We towed the little truck back to Ellingsburg. I had not really been sleeping while I was homeless because I was so scared. I fell asleep in my dad's flatbed truck. I loved my dad for what he did that day. I slept for 18 hours straight. I woke up as we hit the Washington border. My dad never said anything except buying Chocolate milk and a box of hostess donuts. That act says more than a millions of words could ever have said. I knew I was safe when he did that. After I ate, I fell back asleep. I woke back I woke back up in my bed in Ellensburg at my parents' house. What an act of true love he had done for me. No words were said About the trip. When I went outside, there was my dad pulling apart my little you, my little truck. And he said to me, it looks like you've twisted the head a bit. Don't worry, we'll get it fixed. Should not be that hard, is all he said. And life carried on. A new page. Oh boy, this was getting old. I started everything all over again. A new job back in Yakima, Washington, back in Yakima in Washington State. I was hoping to get my life in order while I was working at my second job, as I had two of them. The stupid jackass who she had an affair with tracked me down in Washington state and came to my work to talk it over and say he was sorry for what he did. Okay, my mind was blown. I had started getting my life back and this asshole had the balls to track me down and then think that a few simple words were going to make it all better. It took five of my co-workers to to keep me from chasing him outside and kicking his ass. Okay, yeah, bad Al took over, and names were gonna be taken. In the end, the five people had to hold me back. At one point, two of them were holding me down on the ground. I got fired from my violent outburst in front of 20 or so customers and about 10 coworkers. Once more, the bad wind came back into my life. I should have told her, fuck off. Go the fuck away. But no, I didn't have what it took to do so. So she moved back in once again. It was okay for about two months. There was nothing like, sp- then there was nothing like spending Christmas alone. Not knowing where your wife is or who she was sleeping with. Within 24 hours, bef- when 24 hours before that, you were having the times of your life. I had a good job. I didn't have the second job anymore. And my wife was home and we were happy. And then it happened again. I spent Christmas Eve day driving all around town, driving all over Yakima, looking for her. Then as the night rolled on, I went home to lick my words and cry myself to sleep. I spent Christmas and New Year's Eve alone and I hit rock bottom and the darkness poured in and I could not stand being alive. The same old feeling. I was not even good enough to keep her from having an affair crept in. So lying on the floor, I made a poor choice instead of calling my dad. I thought I could see my solution. I thought the world would be better off without me. I went into the bathroom and I took all the pills I could find. There I was with the first bottle of pills and beer in my hand and I started pouring them down my throat. Then on to the next bottle. So there I was, the last two bottles of pills and beer. Later talking to someone on the payphone outside where I was living. Next thing I knew, I was in a police car, and then I blinked, and I was in the hospital. As a survivor of a failed attempt at suicide, I can say that it is a very dark place when you lose all hope and you wish for death. And the last feeling is that you do not want to feel pain at all. The pain overcomes and the desire for life and all hope leaves. I say to this day that until that, I say to this day and until the day I return to my Maker, fuck all of the religions that say suicide is a sin
1: or that of a sick
0: mind. I am in tears talking about this because I have walked the path. And have lost some good friends to this act. I forgive each and every one of them for their choice. Believe it or not, it does not take a lot to get you to the point where your pain is giving you no choice but to leave. I have also say this to the stupid fuckers who say people don't really want to commit suicide. They are just a crime for help. No, you're wrong. I was not crying for help. I wanted out. I wanted to feel no more pain. This is a line of thinking that some professionals who have never walked the path don't know about. It's a very hard time in my, it was a very hard time in my life. I felt like I could not even keep a marriage going and hiding Ally from everyone was taking its toll. Some people never understand or take responsibility for their actions and how those actions can affect others. I tried to overdose on asthma pills, aspirin, and Tylenol. There's nothing like getting your stomach filled with charcoal and being forced to throw it up. It's a bit hard to keep going. I'm going to take an end here. This was very difficult in my life. Um, We're going to take a short break, and I'm going to come back, and I want to talk about something that um, is not in the book. (laughs) Thanks for sticking with me on this episode. I know I talk about suicide here, and I know I've experienced it a lot in my life. I know I've tried a lot of times, and it wasn't until I received a good friend that helped me. help me find my self-worth. Doesn't mean that that was the end of it. It just means that I learned that I did not have to look at suicide for a solution. I know how it feels. I know where you are looking at A loss of complete hope. A lot of sadness that enters your soul. That watching a cartoon or something like that is not going to fix it. You have to find your mental strength, your self-esteem, your fortitude to survive it. And if you don't have it, you don't know where to get it. But that was me. I had no hope. I was really at the bottom of who I was at this point in time in my life. I could not see a future. And that's horrific. One of the most horrible times in my life was here. I have to give my dad credit sometimes even though he's not in my life right now there were times in my life that he showed the most beautiful compassion and caring for a child and I learned a lot I really really did and as a parent I've made mistakes I really have but it took me a while to figure out what I was doing. And now I'm a really good parent. And I'm pleased that it it was a journey. And I'm glad that I'm still here. I'm glad that I did not succeed in any of those attempts. Because my life is very rich. It's not where I'd like it to be. But it is rich. It's full of wonderful people that come and go all the time. And I have some amazing friends that I care about and they care about me. And that says a lot about life. If you can't find people that lift you up, then you're not looking in the right places. If you only have people that drag you down, you need to cut them. You need to cut them right out of your life. And I think my dad's story about underachievers really comes into this. I'm 51 years old and I can see it now. Where I didn't as a young man or as a young person or as a young woman or a young trans person. I didn't see it then. Because it wasn't really, it wasn't there for me to see. I didn't have the wisdom, and I didn't have those that showed it to me. My dad could say things, but he never knew how to show it when it came to that fatherly wisdom or that parental guidance. And that is a very difficult moment for a young person to learn. And like I said, it took me almost a lifetime. And now I deal with an ex-partner who causes me a lot of stress, a lot of stress. But that stress that that individual causes me is nothing. I, I don't care anymore about that individual because I've learned that my existence in this life is more than enough. It's more than enough. I don't have to keep reaching for the stars. I just keep reaching for the next day. And I keep looking at my children and I think, they're amazing. I am so glad they're in my life. You might be on that road of suicide and depression. You might be there. But I can promise you this much. If you look at my favorite quote, illa jata non carpodium," And always remember, don't let the bastards grind you down. Don't let them tear you down. Don't even let yourself tear you down. Because there is a place for each and every one we just may not be able to see it. We may not be living in a place that's safe. We may not have a job that is perfect. But there is a place for each and every one of us. Thank you so much for listening to Being Trains. And if you need help, there are people out there who will listen. Crisis Line, Lifeline, The Blue Door, uh, Attitude Counseling, Men's Line. There is just a plethora of help out there. And if you're LGBT and in Australia, don't forget. There's Q Life. You can search that out on the web, and they will help you if you are in those dark times. Talk it out. Keep talking. Don't give up. Don't let that darkness beat you. Because I want you here. You matter to me. Once again, thank you for listening to Being Trans. Take good care of yourself. and We'll talk another time.